Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning and they do a great job. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got some terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Bryson Bort is uh, he's, uh, an ex- ex- expert at the uh, R Street Institute on Cybersecurity and uh, cy- uh, Cybersecurity and Emerging Threats. Uh, we'll be speaking to him about ransomware and cybersecurity. And then Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be joining us as well. It is May the 14th, and on this day in 1787, delegates to the Constitutional Convention began to assemble in Philadelphia to confront a daunting task. The peaceful overthrow of the new American government as defined by the Articles of Confederation. Although the convention was originally supposed to begin on March on May the 14th, uh, James Madison reported that a small number only had assembled. Meetings had to be pushed back until May the 25th when a sufficient quorum of the participating states, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia had arrived. As the new United States descended into economic crisis and interstate quarrels, the new nation's leaders had become increasingly frustrated with their limited power. When in 1785, Maryland and Virginia could not agree on their rights to the Potomac River, George Washington called a conference to settle the matter at Mount Vernon. James Madison then convinced the Virginia legislature to call a convention of all states to discuss such sticky trade issues at Annapolis, Maryland. The Annapolis Convention of September 1786 in turn called the Philadelphia Convention to devise such further provisions as shall appear to them necessary to render the constitution of the federal government adequate to the uh, Union. Between Madison's initial call for the states to send delegates to Annapolis and the presentation of Madison's Virginia plan for a new government in the convention in Philadelphia, a fundamental shift in the aims of the convention process had taken place. No longer were the delegates gathered with the aim of tweaking trade agreements. A significant number of the new men uh, present were now determined to overhaul the American government as a whole without a single ballot being cast by the voting public. American Revolution, the silent American Revolution happening on this day, 1787, at least beginning on this day in 1787. Well, uh, on a local note, uh, we visited with uh, former mayor of uh, Naples, Bill Barnett. Well, yesterday, the Naples city manager, Charles Chapman, resigned Thursday, effective immediately, and city council voted unanimously to accept his resignation. City Council also voted unanimously to name Deputy City Manager Dana Souza as Interim City Manager. So uh, I don't have a lot of details on this, but it makes me speculate and wonder if perhaps there wasn't dissension in the ranks. Bill Barnett reported low morale at, with the troops, and of course with these long meetings, makes me wonder if uh, finally the City Manager Charles Tra- Chapman has said, uh, hey, no mas, <laughs> I don't want any more of this. So interesting. 
Well, the Colonial Pipeline reportedly paid almost $5 million to hackers responsible for the cyber attack that forced the shutdown of its gas infrastructure. Colonial Pipeline paid the ransom amount using cryptocurrency within hours of the attack, highlighting the pressure the company faced to get gas flowing again to customers on the East Coast, according to Bloomberg. This contradicts a report earlier this week that the company had no plans of paying a fee to decrypt important data files and uh, help get the gas line up and running again. After receiving the ransom amount, the hackers gave Colonial Pipeline a decrypting tool to get access to its data again and restore the broken network. However, the hacker's tool was so slow and ineffective that the company used its own backup data to help bring the system back to life. The FBI confirmed on Monday that Darkside ransomware was responsible for the Colonial Pipeline attack. Darkside is a group of organized hackers selling software in the retail software hacking tools to other criminals to carry out attacks on wealthy organizations and entities, according to a cybersecurity firm, Cyber Reason. The FBI discourages companies from paying ransom to hackers. Paying a ransom doesn't guarantee you'll get your organization or get your data back. It also encourages perpetrators to target more victims and offers an incentive for others to get involved in this type of illegal activity, said the FBI. The Colonial Pipeline is the largest gas pipeline in the country with 5,500 miles of pipeline from Texas to New Jersey and delivers 45% of the fuel to the East Coast. That's a lot. The company announced it restarts operations on Wednesday, but the cyber attack had already caused severe gas shortages in the South for multiple days this week. So the federal government finally did step up and provided some aid, like, uh, for example, getting rid of the uh, Jones Act, and some other things as well. But initially, the whole, especially from Jen Psaki, she said, you know what, that's a private matter. We're not going to get involved. Would have preferred the president to say, we don't pay ransom, and we're going to, if we do pay this ransom, we're going to hunt you down and squeeze every dime or every cryptocurrency amount that, uh, that's been paid. Uh, again, leading from behind. That's what uh, Obama used to do. Well, the Indispensable Group American Legislative Exchange Council, the ALEC, has released its 14th annual Rich States, Poor States report ranking states on their economic performance and outlook. Once again, it founded that states pursuing low tax and spending policies have faster growth and a brighter future. Utah came in in first place in the latest economic competitive report, its 14th straight year in the top spot. That's Utah. Florida was a big winner under Governor Ron DeSantis' leadership, jumping from seventh place last year to second place. Who fared the worst? Well, you know you know exactly who did that. That was New York, Vermont, New Jersey, a true of neighboring states that are mired in a model that features high taxes, crushing regulations on business and precarious public pension systems. Illinois and California are right behind them. The states that have gained the most ground of late are North Carolina, Florida, Indiana, and Colorado. These states headed in the wrong direction are the states headed in the wrong direction are Virginia, Washington, and uh, New York, which of course just raised its income tax. Florida, number two, only to, second to uh, Utah. That's great. Uh, more confirmation that we have great leadership in Florida. Well, the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits dropped to a 14-month low last week as companies held 
onto their workers amid a growing labor shortage that helped to curb unemployment growth in April. The scramble for workers comes as the uh, reopening economy is experiencing a boom in demand, resulting in widespread shortages of inputs at factories and fanning inflation. Producer prices increased more than expected in April, leading to the biggest annual gain since 2010. That's concerning. The worker shortage is, uh, is despite nearly 10 million Americans being officially unemployed, a disconnect that economists expect will resolve in the coming months as enhanced employment benefits expire, allowing some workers to return to the labor market. Well, the other thing that's happening is states are getting rid of these. They're basically saying you're, if you're not applying for a job, that's what we're doing here in Florida. If you don't apply for a job, you're not going to get unemployment benefits. That's a good thing. Well, as the U.S. climbs out of its once-in-a-century pandemic, rising prices have led to increased worry that rapid inflation could just be over the horizon. In the short term, consumers can expect to see rising prices across the board. Henry Olson, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, said, I expect to see in the next few months people will be getting sticker-shocked in virtually all aspects of their lives. Uh, though President Biden's relief package may not be the primary contributor to the rise in prices witnessed in recent weeks, experts say his administration has proposed a $2.3 trillion American jobs plan, a $1.8 trillion American families plan, which could pump an unprecedented $6.1 trillion, $6.1 trillion into the economy in about two years. If Biden seizes $6 trillion, you're going to see fuel added to the fire, Olson warned. If he's talking about increasing government spending by $600 billion a year, as far as the eye can see, that will add to the inflationary pressures already existing. Several states in the South and Midwest, such as Tennessee, Missouri, have unemployment rates below the national average of 6.1%, have recently announced they will end federally funded pandemic unemployment benefits next month. So, uh, $6.1 trillion, a trillion dollars is the answer, according to Joe Biden. Look, uh, what is the question? There is no legitimate question. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, President Donald Trump is going back on the rally trail in June. Uh, it's not an official cam presidential campaign. The rallies will come in support of the America First agenda and Republicans behind the movement who are up for 2022 congressional seats, despite the fact that former president is not yet ready to make a determination for his own political future before the 2024 presidential election. It's pretty cool. We miss him. For us uh, Trumpophiles, it'd be nice to uh, have President Trump back on the stump and uh, giving us more rallies. He apparently he's got three planned uh, uh, all the way through, I guess there'd be a couple in June and one just before over the July 4th weekend, I guess. Anyhow, looking forward to that. How about you? This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater in its very best and building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. Very excited about it. I served as a board chairman for 15 years, and I hope you'll visit the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bryson Bort from the R Street Institute. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O dot org. Now, being in Washington, D.C., I guess the CDC has announced that they've lifted the mask mandates. Are there smiles in Washington? Well, there certainly are in the Yapen household. Um, uh, thrilling news as far as I'm concerned, and another step uh, back to normalcy. Great, absolutely great to hear it. So uh, we've got this infrastructure bill, and I guess there was some give and take, uh, some uh, visits about kind of negotiating over the infrastructure bill. Where do we stand right now? Well, the situation is quite fluid. Um, as you mentioned or noted, uh, there's been ongoing negotiations. Uh, on Wednesday in particular, President Biden met with congressional leaders and also uh, junior West Virginia Senator Shelley uh, Capito, who is leading the, I guess, Republican counteroffer. They all said, um, all the meeting participants crowed about how uh, productive they were and how respectful they were, and, and 
that's a fine thing. I'm all for bipartisan uh, bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they're still miles apart. Yeah. Um, the you know from the definition of infrastructure, you know, with the GOP having a more traditional concept of the term, and the Biden administration and congressional Democrats embracing pretty much everything under the sun under the rubric um, infrastructure. They're miles apart on, on how much it would cost, um, with the GOP at around $580 billion, again, targeted to traditional infrastructure, um, and the Biden administration floating $4 trillion. <laughs> and they're still miles apart on how to pay, um, with the Republicans preferring user fees and the Biden administration preferring tax increases. Yeah. So um, we'll see how this proceeds. Um, again, the situation is fluid, and, and they're still pretty far apart. So uh, apparently Schumer said, hey, I'm, we're going to take this to the floor of the Senate, which is kind of concerning. Uh, what do you think? Well, we'll see. I mean, it, it is uh, it's still uncertain whether or not he's got all 50 Democrats in his caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Um, has expressed uh, severe reservations with the Biden, with his quote-unquote infrastructure package. Um, So Schumer, there seems to be some sort of Memorial Day deadline that that Democrats have tentatively set by which uh, Republicans either must demonstrate that they're willing to go along in some fashion or Schumer threatens to proceed with uh, this process known as reconciliation. We've spoken about that before. That's how... Um, the Democrats, they passed the, uh, the the latest, the $2 trillion COVID stimulus. So this allows them to sidestep the filibuster. Um, so that's another factor at play in these fluid negotiations, sort yeah. of what process Schumer wants to proceed with. Um, at, at this point, I guess the best guess being put out there for how the future is going to play out is that, uh, frankly, negotiations will break down by Memorial Day and that Schumer, he either will get mentioned at his back or not. Mm-hmm. And um, depending on that, he'll proceed with this go-it-alone reconciliation approach. Unbelievable. And uh, <laughs> where's the money going to come from? Well, so uh, how are we doing? Now, all this money has gone out. There, I know that we got some money here in the coffers in, in Florida from the stimulus package. Uh, and uh, I know how it was used. I mean, basically said we're not going to use it for recurring expenses. We're going to use it for projects here in Florida, and we have several projects to to take on. H- how's that money? Is it, was that money necessary? Well, that that is a fantastic question. Um, so, uh, under due to what was feared to be uh, uh, collapsing state budgets. Mm-hmm. Congress, uh, it, over the last year, um, they passed about $500 billion worth of relief uh, for states. And again, the avowed purpose for this was the coronavirus wrecked our economy, which is going to wreck state tax revenues, which is going to have a, you know, wreak havoc upon their budgets. Um, so Congress acted $500 billion. Well, the latest news, so California earlier this week, um, reported that it's going to have a $75 billion surplus. Um, and amongst, I believe it, it's 21 states of the union are, are going to are, are reporting you know, large surpluses this year due to, in large part, to the stock uh, market's fine performance. I mean, these are states that rely upon capital gains taxes. Long story short, 
from uh, Morgan Stanley to an analysis um, by a, a local governmental body. Um, it appears as though state revenue or state budgets are, are, have only declined due to COVID 0.2 to 1.2 percent, wow. which is far, far less than what was anticipated when Congress passed this $500 billion worth of state support in the various uh, COVID stimuli um, over the last year. So this was a long story short. Um, this would appear to be a, a sort of a consequence of the rushed process by which Congress, uh, the, the Congress employed to get all this money out the door. I mean, none of the $6 trillion worth of COVID stimulus passed over the last year was deliberated in any fashion by Congress. I mean, it was, um, they, they used this mechanism called unanimous consent um, that, that actually precludes deliberation. So this sort of goes to show you that um, had Congress perhaps thought through what it was doing, um, and I'll note this, we had indications that state budgets were not in precarious positions in late February hmm. before Congress passed the $350 billion. So that's $350 billion out of the $500 billion that I've been talking about that, state, uh, that Congress gave to states. Um, the upshot is Congress, in its rush, um, ignored sort of obvious evidence that the latest $350 billion was unnecessary, um, or you know, certainly appears to be unnecessary, given that the avowed purpose was to help states with what were expected to be these gross shortfalls in revenues, mm -hmm. um, and that didn't turn out to occur. So it's uh, uh, somewhat troubling. And I'll say this, I mean, geez, um, you know, they're talking about, the Biden administration is talking about spending another $4 trillion dollars on infrastructure, quote unquote, um, the GOP is counted with five hundred and eighty odd billion dollars. One wonders, you know, can't they look to the five hundred billion dollars they've already given to states that arguably isn't necessary, given yeah. that these budget shortfalls didn't come to pass? I mean, right. there's just so we're speaking. You said once two, I believe, two interviews ago that trillion has become the new billion. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's so much money out there. Um, just one wonders whether or not Congress ought not pause. Um, and kind of ascertain uh, how much monies are already available for, for you know, the things they're already uh, considering to spend on next. Unbelievable. William Yateman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I just genuinely appreciate your insights on these issues, William. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar 
the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. <laughs> Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a refreshing new social networking platform. I hope you check out choicesocial.us on the web. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bryson Board from the R Street Institute. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, a lot of smiles on the faces of, from the news from the CDC uh, and uh, <laughs> lifting the mask mandates. What are your thoughts about all this? So, a lot of people have been after the CDC for a while for still recommending masks for vaccinated people when the evidence suggests that vaccines not only protect you from serious COVID and uh, hospitalization and death from COVID-19, but they also reduce the risk of transmission to others. So the evidence is suggesting this, that the CDC was still saying you should mask even after you get vaccinated. And now the CDC has said, actually, as long as you've been vaccinated, it's in most situations uh, safe to, uh, to unmask and, uh, and they did that based on the uh, risks, uh, both to the individual and to others with whom you might come into contact. This was, we were just talking about it before we came on the air. This is interesting. They, uh, this, half the country had been happy with the CDC and half had been angry with the CDC, and now they just switched places. Yeah. It's but really what this highlights to me is that there are differences of opinion based uh, about whether people should mask after uh, reasonable differences of opinion about whether people should mask after they've received a vaccine. And that tells you, and it tells us that this is not really science. This is risk benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and the benefits uh, and, and the costs and benefits of, of, of masking after vaccination are different for everybody. 
Yeah. And what the, what is valuable about what the CDC did is that it said, you know what, it is reasonable. The CDC is not uh, right. They don't have they don't have absolute truth on their side. But what they have done is they said it is reasonable not to mask in certain situ in certain situations, like after you've been vaccinated and uh, when you uh, are not around people who are at a, a very high risk of uh, serious illness from COVID, you have people who can't vaccinate and so forth. So, so quite frankly, uh, there's so much doubt about the science behind any of this. It seems like they kind of, uh, where did the six feet for, in the first place come from, for example? And how about masks? I've read so many uh, studies about masks that, that prove that they're not very effective at all in terms of spreading uh, COVID. And then uh, just changing course and saying, okay, now you don't need to wear a mask. That seems to me it's so disconnected from any kind of uh, science whatsoever. It's just unbelievable. Well, they're not making it up. You know, when the CDC makes these recommendations, they do look at the available studies, the studies that people have done about masking in healthcare uh, uh, situations uh, and in other environments. And uh, they have, uh, and they look at studies that measure the amount of uh, COVID 19 uh, uh, or SARS CoV 2 viruses that are transmitted in the air by infected people, how long it takes them to fall to the ground. And it's based on these sorts of studies that they come up with these guidelines that uh, you should stay six feet away. And they try to err a little bit on the side of caution. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so that's where they, they come up with these. Yeah, but, but Mike, Michael, uh, like, me... like we said, this is not, they are, this is, there's a lot of uncertainty around all of these questions. The CDC is uh, trying to let science inform their recommendations, but again, these are not scientific decisions or recommendations they're making. They're based on subjective cost-benefit analysis. Right. So let me insert here that I'll give you that. And let's, uh, I'm sure they're looking at a lot of information. I'm not suggesting it's pure opinion, but I, I am aware that the uh, CDC actually took the recommendations of the uh, teachers' union for how long kids should, uh, first of all, the, the safety precautions that should be used in school and how long schools should stay closed, they actually took the paragraphs out of, out of the information from the, from the teachers' union. So, yeah, where did the teachers' union get the science? I don't think they did. They may have their opinion about this, so they're trying to insert themselves in the situation, but the CDC should not be using recommendations from the teachers' union. And how did the teachers' unions ever get access to the CDC so that they could be, you know, making these sorts of recommendations? Yeah, exactly. Did the CDC call you or me <laughs> yeah. asking for that kind of input? I'm shocked, shocked to find out that there's politics involved in the, in the government agency's deliberation. Uh, yeah, that just that just highlights that these are uh, decisions that may draw from scientific studies, but they are not scientific decisions. And and the teachers, you know, I don't, I don't fault the teachers or the teachers union from making different cost benefit calculations than I would make. You know, they have uh, different risk tolerances uh, and, and, and that's fine. You know, we, everyone does, yeah. but theirs should not be dominating the discussion. Theirs should not be uh, preventing people who want to find alternative uh, educational arrangements from uh, finding those. I say that as a parent of three kids who are still in hybrid 
learning environments where they only go into school two days a week uh-huh. and then only at two other days of virtual instruction. Wow. So, uh, and, you know, the thing is right now, I, I feel like the CDC, Dr. Fauci, uh, public health officials have just reduced their credibility to the point where it's almost non-existent, at least for people like me. And, uh, I mean, this whole thing with Dr. Fauci and what's going on with the uh, funding of the uh, research in the uh, Wuhan lab is just uh, the, the walls are starting to close in on him because I think there, there's evidence, clear evidence, that he provided the funding or directed the funding for the research in, uh, in Wuhan. I don't think anyone has definitively shown that that's where the virus came from, from a lab, as opposed to the uh, zoonotic uh, explanation uh, for transmission to humans. But I have had to adjust the probability I assign to that um, to, to that origination story, to that narrative. Uh, I've had to adjust it upward. Uh, and because, you know, there is more evidence consistent with that. And so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, until uh, we have definitive evidence. And if so, then that is, I mean, uh, what an, you, you, you could make a movie about this, and I think some people have. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, the information that I uh, relied on heavily is, of course, uh, Dr., uh, uh, our senator, uh, Rand Paul, and his interview of Fauci. And then, of course, there was a, a, some outstanding information. I think it was in Revolver.News that uh, had a very about a 2000 word uh, story about the research and back or the background of this whole thing so it's very concerning my point being is that uh, you know because so much of this whenever dr fauci talks he never talks about this study shows or that study shows no there's not, no mention of that whatsoever he just he's winging it all the time are you there michael I am, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't that I have anything to add to that. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to criticize him personally. Certainly, people have found reason to, uh, to to question some of the recommendations he has made. Some people have said that uh, he changed his story. I think that is uh, true, but. Uh, in general, you know, the times I've noticed him changing his story, I think he has changed it in response to uh, changing evidence. Okay, well, you know what? I, re- uh, I realize and, and now that I put you in kind of a difficult situation because uh, uh, because you're a, a research guy and, and not uh, <laughs> and I'm a commentary guy. So anyhow, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Michael Cannon, again, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Such an interesting interview. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Anytime, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, Bryson Bort. He, Bryson is uh, the uh, Senior Fellow for Cybersecurity and Emerging Threats at the R Street Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees 
On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's uh, we're bringing you, providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of *The Devil at Our Doorstep*. Right now, we have with us Bryson Bort. He is a senior fellow for cybersecurity and emerging threats at the R Street Institute. Also. I uh, advised to Arbor, uh, Army Cyber Institute and uh, served as an officer in the uh, uh, in the U.S. Forces. Uh, Bryson, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bryson. Uh, tell us about the R Street Institute. Uh, sure. The R Street Institute, um, I, we like to think of ourselves as a, a think tank that is actually trying to make a difference, not just talking about things, but getting out there and making it happen. Uh, R Street, it's, it's, I think the website is rstreetinstitute.org, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's correct. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about what's happened here. We had the pipeline uh, and the ransomware attack, uh, and uh, really our energy has been disrupted here, especially on the East Coast. Uh, $5 million uh, ransom being paid. What are your thoughts about all this? <laughs> So we have a problem, um, and everybody in the last week has been focusing on two aspects, really the fact that this was a, um, an attack that was, of course, accomplished through cyber means, a.k.a. the ransomware, the code that went in and knocked out their computers. And then the second, of course, is that this was an impact that had a very public and large uh, range on society. I mean, we had people throughout multiple states going uh, panic-buying gas. Um, and the good news, of course, is the pipeline's back up, so there probably wouldn't have been an impact. But I think the real story here is we've got a Russia problem. Mm-hmm. This is the fourth attack by this ransomware gang on 
U.S. energy in the last six months. Hmm. And they've attacked other sectors and they're attacking other countries. They have no respect for international norms, and we need to do something about it. Now, I'm not saying that the Russian government absolutely sanctioned this attack, but we do know that they've been turning a blind eye to a significant amount of criminal activity that is causing a destruction uh, for the rest of us. Well, uh, quite frankly, Bryce and Mike, and I'm, I'm not an intellect, uh, international expert at all, but my view is that if something's happening in Russia, it's not happening unless, uh, 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 what's his name now? I forgot now. But Putin. Hey, Putin, yeah, <laughs> unless, unless Putin approved of it. So, <laughs> I mean, to, to me, it's irresponsible of our president not to actually get on the phone with him and suggest, look, you, you've got to take care of this. We, this can't be happening anymore. Uh, well, so Biden has publicly stated that he's going to do that. Um, we, we both, I mean, we know that, that Trump didn't do much. Um, Obama also wagged his finger at, at the, the Russian government beforehand, and so did Bush. Um, so this is not a, I'm not making this political. This is an issue that we have as Americans, though, where this country is just off the rails. And I think more, we need to do more than a phone call between presidents uh, we need to be doing something that really changes this, that the Russian government decides that uh, at, at best, just letting these things happen is not going to be in their best favor in the long term. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm aware also of attacks on the State Department, um, attacks on uh, governments, uh, governments in Baltimore, as I recall. Uh, how, big mm-hmm. a th- how, how, how serious is this problem? So, uh, very serious. Um, Obviously, Colonial Pipeline is the one that has made the news. Uh, and as you've noted, there have been lots of uh, ransomware attacks. Um, I can't say that all of those ransomware attacks have been attributed to Russia, but they are the most active player mm-hmm. in uh, that form of um, <laughs> cyber skullduggery. Um, and in the last year and a half, I mean, these, these attacks have just continued to increase. They are very cheap to execute, and the they're very lucrative. Uh, Colonial Pipeline paid 75 bitcoins, which translates to real cash of $5 million uh, two days ago to get the decryptor code to be able to unlock their computers. Um, so if you're, if you're Darkseid, you're going to keep doing this. In fact, Darkseid has already boasted publicly that they have uh, attacked successfully several other companies. We don't know who they are or if they're telling the truth, but this is something they're clearly going to do, and every time a company pays ransom, you're investing in the criminal. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're going to come back. Yeah. So, uh, that's so interesting, uh, uh, Bryson. So, uh, what should, uh, what would, if you were in charge, what would you do? If I were in charge, uh, this is, yeah. So, we, we need to be doing a whole-of-government response here. Uh, on the first part is, of course, the defensive, right? We live in one of the largest class houses, which is why it's so easy to throw stones at us. And our critical infrastructure has been woefully underfunded from a government perspective for a number of years. Um, the oil and natural gas pipelines in this country actually come under the purview of the TSA. I think most people would find that surprising. Yes. <laughs> Um, TSA has anywhere, has had anywhere from one to five experts in cybersecurity available to support this over the last few years. 
um, that's pretty, that's a pretty startling number. Yeah. And that reflects again, the priorities and the funding, uh, the resources that we've given to do something about that. So, uh, there's a lot of work in the last few weeks, uh, predating the colonial pipeline where, uh, Congress has already started to, uh, to address that. So, uh, I would right now let's, let's let that play out, but that, that is a key component. We need to be doing better job of defending ourselves. If we weren't such easy targets, that might change some things. Yeah, and then, of course, on the geopolitical level, we need to be out there changing the personal calculus. So the challenge with a government like Russia is it's not a democracy. Mm-hmm. There are a few people at the top, yeah. <laughs> mostly under Putin's thumb. So you have the oligarchy who all um, economically benefit from their positions of power. And then you have Putin. We need to find a way to get to those folks um, and I don't mean that in an ominous way. I'm not, not saying that, but we need to be able to get to them to maybe make it a lot harder for their finances to be moved out of Russia. Yeah. Maybe we need to be going after their money. Yeah. Um, we've done that to some degree. I think we need to be um, even even harsher with it. I'm so happy you recommended that. So, uh, you know, in my view, uh, when I heard that the president wanted an infrastructure program, my thought is that uh, it should address some of the things that you've already raised here, including our grid and all kinds. You know, we are so vulnerable to cyber attacks uh, here in this country. And as I understand it, even the uh, website for the uh, for the State Department, some of our organizations, government organizations, are not as robust as the ones for some for some of our corporations. So we're very very vulnerable, <laughs> as I understand it. Yeah, I mean, so web- websites are are I, I would, let's like websites not the right the right metaphor, right? We're we're talking about critical infrastructure. We're talking about computers that don't just post data, but computers that can you know potentially affect the loss of life or limb, yeah. and that are going to have a direct impact on society. Yeah. If the power goes out, I mean, it, it, depending on the the weather conditions, people in that area will start to die. Uh, these are very serious matters that have, you know, it's what underpins modern society because of how, how we've built it up. Uh, and the good news is that there is uh, going to be about $100 million out of the next funding request uh, to go toward a number of cybersecurity initiatives. And I expect that we're going to see even more of that growth. All right. Uh, again, Bryson Bort with the R Street Institute. I genuinely, this has been so informative, Bryson. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. First time I've had him on the show. Kind of interesting guy. Really interesting guy, in fact. And this is such a big, big deal. Uh, what if we should find out more about uh, cybersecurity and ransomware? So interesting. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo. Dave is the uh, author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, kind of going against the tide of the Biden administration, but doing great work. You can visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Bego. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Now, what's that all about? Well... Uh, it's about the tr- dealing with the travails of union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years and all their dirty tricks. Well, we lost Dave. I hope he calls us back. That was <laughs> something happened there. I don't know what it was, but pretty startling. Anyhow, uh, I'm sure he'll call back. So uh, he was dealing with the travails of union bosses over the course of two and a half years, and they played so many dirty tricks. For example, against his customers, uh, using the media, using the labor relations, National Labor Relations Board. So many different attacks on him and his family, as well as uh, his customers and his employees. Uh, they, Dave said, listen, uh, if you want to take have a secret ballot and you want to unionize our shop that way, I'm totally amenable to that. But if uh, they wanted to sign a neutrality agreement, which would allow them to go and uh, sign up his employees one by one, and once they got 50% plus one, his shop would be unionized. Dave, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't either, but uh, something startling happened. <laughs> Shocked me. But anyhow, uh, I was just telling your story. I thought you might call back. So I was telling the story about uh, the devil at our doorstep. The book is a terrific read. Uh, you just can't make this stuff up. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Dave. So uh, what startled me is that uh, the CDC was influenced by the teachers' union and, and listed, uh, actually took paragraphs out of their recommendations to put into CDC guidelines for kids going back to school. 
I'm saying to myself, could they actually have that much power and influence over the CDC, over a government agency that's in charge of our public health? That's amazing to me. Well, absolutely. You know, um, uh, 27 to 30% of the um, employees that work for government, uh, uh, federal government, are unionized. And so the unions have a, a you know, a big hand in controlling the, the government. And um, they, um, uh, even even though you just brought that up, it's interesting, the teachers union had you know, calls for schools to be open full time this fall. So they're, they're finally waking up, but they've been used it to their advantage up to this point yeah shocking indeed well so i was uh you know needless to say biden's his agenda will uh, just uh, creating more robust unions making it easier to unionize uh any any uh, good scoop on the union front well that's exactly right and um you know he's uh he had a speech here not too long ago he biden he stakes a claim to being america's most pro-union president ever um you know, and um, so that, that tells you where he's going, plus the PRO Act that uh, he's trying to get pushed through. You know, he got through Congress and that, but um, if he does that, it will really go after right to work across the country and eliminate that, and it'll allow <clears throat> unions to um, um, use the same type of um, tactics against me, against people, businesses across the country that use against me and my company and go to a card check instead of having a legal election. You know, card checks where they get a bare majority, 50% plus one signed union card, and they're automatically union. Mm-hmm. And all they do is go out and intimidate people and sign the cards. Yeah. Uh, shocking indeed. Well, we've have a, had a precipitous drop into socialism here in the first 100 days of this administration. Uh, I know that you you mentioned off-air that you found a column that might be interesting. You want to share a little bit of it with us? Yeah. Did you say there's been a drop in, in socialism or a increase? A, a precipitous drop into uh, socialism yeah. in the first Well, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and it's called, the article is called uh, Catching Wild Pigs, Food for Thought. And it says, if you or loved ones are providing homeschooling education, here's a simple lesson for all ages that will serve them um, well throughout their lifetime and a great topic for discussion around the dining room table. There was a chemistry professor in a large college that had some strange students in the class. One day while the class was in the lab, the professor noticed one young man, an exchange student, who kept rubbing his back, stretching it as if his back hurt. The professor asked the young man what was the matter. The student told him he had a bullet lodged in his back. He'd been shot while fighting communism in his native country. who were trying to overthrow the country's government and install a new communist regime. Then the student looked at the professor and asked a strange question. Do you know how to catch wild pigs? The professor thought it was a joke and asked for the punchline. The young man said, no joke. You catch wild pigs by finding a suitable place in um, the woods and putting corn on the ground. Pigs find it and begin to come every day to eat the free food. When they are used to coming every day, you put a fence down on one side of the place where they're used to coming in. At first they're scared, but then they get used to the fence. They began to eat the corn again, and you put up another side of the fence. They get used to that and start to eat again. You continue until you handle have all four sides of the fence up with a gate in the uh, uh, last side. And um, the pigs, which are used to the free cart um, corn, start 
to come through the gate and eat the free corn again. You don't slam the gate on them and catch the whole herd. Suddenly, the wild pigs have lost their freedom. They run around inside the fence, but they are caught. Soon they go back into eating the free corn. They're used to it, <clears throat> that they have forgotten how to forage in the woods for themselves, so they accept their captivity. The young man then told the professor that is exactly what he sees happening in America and Canada. The government keeps pushing us towards communism, socialism, and keeps spreading free corn out in form of programs such as supplemental income, tax credit, for unearned income, tax exemptions, tobacco subsidies, dairy subsidies, payments not to plant crops, uh, welfare entitlements, medicine, drugs, etc., while we continually lose our freedoms just a little time. One should always remember two truths. There is no such thing as a free lunch. And number two, you can never hire someone to buy a service for you cheaper than you can do it yourself. If you see all this wonderful government help is, pro- is a problem confronting the future of democracy in American Canada, you may want to share this with your friends. Yeah, I'm so happy you shared it with us, Dave. That's, uh, you know, uh, that's exactly what, you know, I think that's basically what the Democrat Party is doing right now. Joe Biden is uh, putting corn out there for us. <laughs> At least, now, I'm not buying. and uh, I'm a wild pig that's not going to go near that corn. And I don't think you are, but a lot of folks will. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad, what we've seen in the last hundred days is just amazing to me. That uh, you know, we're beginning to to lose our freedoms, and uh, watching what's happening in Congress, it's just amazing. Well, it's exactly right, and um, the whole thing. And I've spoke to on your show about this before. Is they want to bring this country down, turn it into a socialist, communist country without God in it. And this is what their objective is, and they're pushing hard for it. And the American people need to stand up. Right, and this is a, not a commitment to it, uh, ideology, I don't think. It's basically a commitment to centralizing power and, and, and being in charge and keeping power and getting rich. I think they're, you know, these are very ambitious people, and uh, I think what they're doing to us is they're, they're destroying the greatest country in the history of the world, uh, hopefully. Uh, that uh, I'm, I'm quite frankly counting on Donald Trump to, uh, to uh, provide the leadership to, to fight this. Well, yeah, we need somebody strong like him back in, in power. And uh, <clears throat> but the American people have to stand up too and wake up to what's going on, and realize that uh, you know this is the same thing the SEIU did against us with our employees. They were out trying to talk to them all the time and say, "Well, we'll promise you this. We'll promise you this. You'll get this. You'll get this." But at the end of the day, um, they're not going to give you anything, and um, you're going to be sitting there uh, poorer than you were before, and. Uh, if you look at countries that are communist socialists like Venezuela and Cuba and so on, and people that in Venezuela is a good example, because at one time it was a very prosperous Democrat uh, Republican nation, yeah. and um, it um, was taken over by communism. And now, if you if you look at it, most of the people live in huts or cardboard boxes. Right. Well, it was the most prosperous uh, nation in this hemisphere. Uh, up until about uh, the the beginning of the 20th century, so uh, it's 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 really sad indeed what's happened to Venezuela. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. I really appreciate you sharing the wild pig story uh, as well. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thanks, and have a great weekend, you and your uh, listeners also. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, capturing wild pigs—that's so interesting. Well, good analogy. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I learned a lot. I uh, hope you join us Monday. We're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher 
of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events, lots to talk about, especially what's happening in Israel and uh, uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Larry Reed is the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be joining us. We'll be talking about Jim Crow laws, and we'll visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a f- former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of terrific murder mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.